The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So you probably know that the title for this talk tonight is Caring for the Suffering of the World. And I'm planning to talk a little bit about how we experience the world's suffering and how we relate to it and mention some of the specific examples of suffering we find in the world and how they can be relieved. And then talk about 10 Dhamma principles that I'd like to suggest as uh, guidelines for engagement in caring for the suffering of the world. So I'd, I'd like to start by asking you to turn inwards once again. If you want to close your eyes, that might be useful. And just reflect for a moment on the ways in which you have or are caring for the world's suffering. And one thing that might come to mind is donations that you make, whether that's monetary or material in some way, or time, energy. You might have some particular ways that you protect the environment. or things that you may do to stand up for justice. Caring for your family, caring for your friends, that's a very useful way to care for the suffering of the world. caring for people in your community. Caring for yourself. When we care for ourselves, we benefit the world. And when we keep precepts, it's a great gift to the world. Now you might have thought of some other things. Maybe when we come to the time where we can enter discussion after I've shared what I've intended to share, then maybe you can tell me about other things that you're doing. As you know, there's quite a lot of suffering in the world. And we hear about it a lot more than anybody, any generation in the past has. 
You know, the first broadcast news program was in 1920. It's our, our time where people actually hear so much about what's happening around the globe. Before that, most of what you heard about was local, in your village, where there were people that you knew primarily. You get a little bit of news from travelers who come through, but mostly it's the people down the road. Now, I grew up in a place very much like that. Of course, we had television and radio and all those things that none of us know how to how life is without any of that. Now it's internet. There's so much immediate information. But growing up in a small town, you got the news when you went to the grocery store or the post office or the bank. Every person you meet talks about what's happening. And anyone who has an accident or health problem or someone passes away, or you, you pretty much know them or their family. And when anybody's in trouble, people come to help. And it's a great sense a source of security because when you're in trouble then they'll come to help but we don't live quite that way anymore and we hear about so many things that happen in the world and it sometimes often actually people tell me I just feel overwhelmed and I feel like I can't really do anything to help Or at least they feel like it's not enough. So these are things that are important, I think, for us to look at. Hopefully some of the Dhamma principles I'll suggest will be useful in helping with with that. The other thing that's different now in our lifetime is that there are so many more people on the planet. So when I was born, there were about 2.5 billion people on the planet. And now there are about 7.7 billion. It's so much more activity and so much more suffering. It's no wonder that we feel like things have really sped up because there's all this added action. So it's just something to be aware of. This is something that is new to human existence. My lifetime, okay, I'm almost 65. My lifetime, your lifetime, it's relatively short. And yet there's been so much change. So I'm bringing this up because it's important to give ourselves some space around the things we hear and the things we experience. Just being aware and how different this all is from what it was, you know, two or ten or a hundred centuries ago. (coughs) So, of course, you're, you're well aware of a lot of the things that are happening that we would consider suffering. And 
people who are experiencing the fires, the floods, the storms, a lot of the uh, effects of climate change. And some of these things are getting worse as we go. And of course, there's war always somewhere. But there is a lot that can be done. And it's natural for us as human beings to empathize. I remember a book that I read a long time ago. I actually don't remember what the book was, but I remember these photographs that they took during a study watching people watch television. And pictures of kids looking at the TV screen and the happiness and the sadness and the expressions because when we see things, we empathize. And sometimes I think given the life that we lead and how different it is from the lives that some of the people I'm going to mention are leading, our circumstances are so different, and yet we can imagine how it feels. And it's our empathy that brings up this desire to help in the heart. And then it's useful to have ways that we can actually make a difference. So I'm going to give you examples from what Buddhist Global Relief does. And of course, there are many, many, many opportunities for us to take action. And many, many ways to take action. So some of the beneficiaries of Buddhist Global many of them are women. And there, there's a project in Kenya to help uh, women farmers. Now, about 80% of the farmers in Kenya are women, but they only get about 7% of the training. The training mostly goes to the men. And... So this is a project that helps train women farmers in being able to farm sustainably and productively. And what ha- what's happening in Kenya is that climate change is causing a lot of trouble. There is a, it's a lot um, harder um, weather-wise and climate-wise to farm. The drought is very difficult. But also there are problems because of the um, last couple of decades, at least, of um, agribusiness coming in and selling people uh, seed, expensive seed, expensive inputs that aren't working in uh, their climate because of climate change. And, uh, and so a lot of times the families go into debt and uh, the men leave, uh, many of them to try to find work in the city. Some of them just leave to get away. And who's left with it? It's the mothers and sisters are trying to farm. So this is a way of helping them to be really productive and also helping them learn business skills, being able to take 
their produce to market. The same problem is you've probably heard about the the sort of uh, incredible number of suicides in India for the same reason. The farmers commit suicide. 300,000 farmers have committed suicide since 1998, so in the last 20 years. And it's because of debt and not being able to to find a way out of it, but then what's left, you've got the woman farming, trying to feed the family, trying to deal with the debt, trying to deal with the aftermath. So it's possible to help in ways that just lift people up. And it's not, um, you know, it doesn't work so well to just hand things out, you probably know but giving people the basics that they need in order to really be able to thrive. And it's wonderful when you see results from the offerings that you make, um, the ways that we can help people. And you probably know about what's happening in Burma with the Rohingyas, so there's a project to support them, the Syrian refugees orphans in Bangladesh, and these are kids without parents in the hill tribes of, in the hill countries of Bangladesh, and the Chittagong Hill tribes. So it's a poor area, and they're without family. So there's a school, an orphanage, food, you know, it's it's really a, a way to give them, a way to enter the world project in um, India, Nagpur, India, girls from the lowest social class. I hate even saying that, but that's, you know, there's such a hierarchy there. And these girls are are likely to um, enter childhood marriage and not get an education. And even if they try to get an education, even walking to school is not safe. So there's an or, there's a hostel for them to live and an education um, support for for going to not just high school but also college. In Cambodia, girls two percent of women have a bachelor's degree in Cambodia, and most girls never make it to high school. And a lot of them get swept off into the sex trade from when they're from poor families. So um, there's a project that helps them get their education. Now we've got girls in college and nurses training, and they get to actually shape their own lives. And it's not all like way over there. We've got homeless kids on the city streets of New York and they come into the Reciprocity Foundation and get hot meals that they eat together as a community, learn how to cook um, nutritious vegetarian, organic food on a small budget and get to get help in countless other ways with meditation and yoga and meeting people who can help them learn the arts and business. 
some of the best talent in New York is pitching in. So, yes, there's a lot of suffering. There always has been, by the way, you know, throughout. As long as there's greed, hatred, and delusion, it's not going to end, but we can make a big difference. So I'm going to talk about these 10 Dhamma principles that I find helpful. Because I certainly have had the experience where I'm, I've dug deeply into climate change, um, reading proposals for projects, really looking at the dire circumstances that many people face. And it can start to take you down. And so what I've learned is how important it is to really rely on the Dhamma. So my, the first one I want to offer is that it's very important that we care for ourselves. And regardless of the ways in which you help others, whether it's you know family, friends, um, local action, helping community-wise, or whatever it is, if we don't take care of ourselves, we just it's not sustainable. And of course, this is we get burnt out. It's a lot of burnout. So it's coming back to caring for ourselves. And the Buddha, you know, whenever... Um, you see where he's talked about talks about the the divine abidings, the Brahma Viharas. They're all going to show up in this list, by the way. Um, he talks about you know giving that metta, that loving kindness to all and to yourself. So we have to care for ourselves as we would care for others. And. You know, it's a good practice in recognizing how much self is actually in operation in us to see that it's it's that mistaken idea of self that causes us to deny taking care of this particular set of the five khandhas. And so it's it's like this is a very important important principle. And the Buddha also said that we should use our wealth for our own benefit and the benefit of others. That's the best way. Because of the joy that comes from sharing and the benefit of the open heart. Now the open heart also has to have wisdom operating. So we are um, wise in the way that we support others. So this, the second principle is really using metta, goodwill. Establishing um, that abiding within ourselves of goodwill. Goodwill towards ourselves, goodwill towards others. But there's also wisdom operating with every one of the Brahma-viharas. Wisdom needs to be there too, and mindfulness. If we have the, that operating together, it's incredibly effective and safe. Wise action. 
And we may, um, part of the wisdom is knowing when people are being skillful or unskillful. But we want the metta, the loving kindness, to be radiating, you might say, available, expressed, held for everyone. Whether they're, you know, people that we believe are causing a lot of suffering or not. It's like Ajahn Jeff, who's coming this week, I heard him say, don't let anyone else's behavior limit your goodwill. That goes out to everybody. And the word metta is related to the word for sun. The sun shines on everybody. And that's how the metta can be for us. The third Dhamma principle is related. It's using karuna, the second of the Brahmaviharas, usually the second in the group. Now, we translate it into English as compassion, but it's a little bit misleading because compassion means suffering with. And that's not really what karuna is. Karuna... It's not like we're agonizing with the suffering. The empathy is there, but it's this just really sincere wish for their suffering to end and the readiness to take action to help end it. If we're drawn down into suffering with, it's not really karuna. It's, um, you might say that some people call it the near enemy of karuna. And so we want to step back, bring the mindfulness in more strongly, bring the wisdom facility in more strongly. Because, you know, the Buddha gives these beautiful similes. He said, you can't help someone come out of the quicksand if you're in the quicksand with them. And it's so important, like working with Buddhist Global Relief, to understand that even when we're helping someone else, it's not like we're above them in any way. We have to do this in solidarity. We're all in this human condition. We all struggle with greed, hatred, and delusion. We all experience suffering. We all experience aging, sickness, and death. And it helps us to develop the heart. And it helps us to develop the heart to share, especially from a place of solidarity and kindness. The fourth Dhamma principle is wise attention. So the Buddha talks a fair bit about wise and unwise attention. And that's been one of the things that's been helpful for me is I'm, you know, reading about or watching or listening to a lot around suffering. It's like when the heart starts to go down, then back up and put the attention on Dhamma. Put the intention on what helps to lift you up. And um, it's it's a, a principle that 
needs to be used in all aspects of our practice. What is it that we're attending to and what is its effect on us? The Buddha put a lot of emphasis on being happy. So how can we be happy in the midst of suffering? I had a friend who went to Thailand after the tsunami of 2004. And she was there a couple weeks after it happened. And it was really a challenging time because her part of her job and what everybody was doing there, uh, the volunteers at that time, well, there were lots of things that people could do, but they were opening the body bags. So this is two weeks later. This is really difficult. And she said there was a doctor there from Hawaii who at the whole time was pleasant to everyone. He... You know, you're doing this incredibly difficult thing and yet constantly kind, gentle smile, not like he wasn't present with what was there, but there was a, a, an evenness, an, an upliftedness of his heart that could be felt. And it's like, this is possible for all of us. And what is it that we need to be able to be this way, to show up this way? It's really the Dhamma. It's really coming back to the truth of the way things are and accepting that. Lifting the heart. Abiding in those divine abidings of kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity. So the fifth the fifth principle, we'll get to some of those other ones in a minute. The fifth principle is to identify if you if you're looking for a way to help care for the suffering of the world, then identify what it is that you find most important. So this is what happened with Buddhist Global Relief when it started. Um, Students of Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi wanted to get together and do something um, positive in the world. And so they really examined what it was that mattered to them most. And you choose that piece and you do that work and let go of all of the rest. You can know knowing about it, but if you put your effort on one thing, you can really see good results. So looking at what really moves us and where we want to put our energy. When I was a lay person, I found that um, I liked giving to a charity, just one charity instead of all of them, <laughs> or many. And it being one that I could put time and energy into, too. And I knew where the money went. I knew what was happening there. That was really lovely, gratifying, helpful. And six, fully accepting the situation. So once you choose what you're going to look at, 
then really being able to open yourself to this is the way things actually are in this. That's what we have to do with everything. When we're in ourselves uh, dealing with some challenge or something we want to work with, we have to first be present with the way it is. It's the first noble truth. Be present with suffering. And then we can see the cause and how to move to the cessation of it. And seven is equanimity. So this equanimity for everyone involved. So um, people are talking a lot about the things that make them angry these days, about what's happening in the world. Lots of different ideas about the right way or the best way to improve things. And if we can remember and practice that even-mindedness with regard to everyone and look at the behaviors, that's what the Buddha did. He looked at the behaviors and the results of the behaviors and he said, that's where you place the blame. And it's like, this behavior leads to this negative result. That behavior leads to a positive result. You can praise, if you will, the individuals for those things that are positive and lead to good results. And the blame goes on the actions for negative results. This I found very helpful. We don't want to develop hatred. Part of the... um, way we can help care for the world is by not adding any hatred to the world to the you know I find this really um, a valuable consideration that that is a huge gift and eight make your work joyful bring in that joyful appreciation Focus on the benefits and what's happening that's good. Um, So much love can come from this kind of action, any kind of action to help others. And there's always, in every situation, good that can come out of it. It's wonderful to see the way neighbors help neighbors. It's wonderful to see the way we can help people on the other side of the world. And how we can accept help from others. Number nine, do what you can and let go. Like I said earlier, there's really no end to it. The suffering will continue, but if we do what we can and let go, um, and remember the things that you do to help. Remember the goodness that you bring to the world. A lot of times we discount it. Um, And the Buddha really encouraged even if you know you have 
something positive happen in meditation or in your practice or you know today i i didn't say this negative thing that i would have said in that situation otherwise or whatever it is you know i kept the five precepts today you know i didn't intentionally kill anything whatever it is that's good in your actions, in your thoughts, in your words. Remind yourself of that. Encourage yourself. Be happy about it. And finally, number 10, engage in the full practice of the Noble Eightfold Path. What are your questions or comments? You said um, that it's not helpful to um, develop more hatred. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear more about that. How do you not develop hatred for somebody who has hurt you very much or who has hurt somebody you love very much? Yeah. Hmm. One way, again, is to separate the actions from the person um, and bring in the wisdom faculty that helps us to see cause and effect, helps us to understand karma. Um, We need to be careful to not fuel the fire of anger and hatred. So the Buddha gave these similes of, you know, if you have four loads of wood burning and you keep throwing dry grass on it, it's just going to keep burning. But if you stop throwing dry grass on it, it'll eventually die down. And when, when we've been hurt or when someone else has been hurt, we need to take care of ourselves and take care of them and get away from or try to put an end to um, that, so become safe. And then notice any thoughts of anger. They're, they're toxic. They burn us. Any thoughts of anger and hatred. And say no to them. Rest in the clarity. See, it's like... It's not about forgiving and forgetting. Don't forget. Be clear. The wisdom of what was done that was wrong and why. And come back to developing your own inner strength. Come back to your heart. Don't damage that. We tend to go over in our mind what happened again and again and again. It really emphasizes it where we know what happened. Let's step away from that. Let's work with the feelings 
be present with our emotional experience, work with it, let it dissolve, let it go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and what's wrong with hatred? Oh, it shrivels you up. It's, it's, um, it depletes the, the mind, the heart. You can think, oh, it's great to have the energy, like something's going to get done. That's one of the common views, but it destroys us. I'm just wondering because I find that my experience personally is when I feel anger or hatred and then I fight that within myself, then I'm creating like a war with myself. Yeah. But when I allow myself to be angry or allow myself to be present with my experience, it feels more connected. Thank you for clarifying that. You don't, it's... Uh, it's very important not to suppress the feeling. So it's not about fighting it back. We need to be present with it. But if, and then contain it so that we're not taking any action outside in our speech or in our actions that are going to harm anyone else. So as long as we understand that, and we, we want to stay present with what we feel. It doesn't even, it, whatever it is, fear, anger, grief, present with the, with the emotion. But not, like I said, not fueling it with thoughts. Thought and feeling are different, and we need to handle them differently. The Buddha was like, he, he talked about two kinds of thoughts. The, the helpful ones and the destructive ones, the wholesome ones and the unwholesome ones. And he said, when the unwholesome thoughts arise, you just say no, you reject them. You don't tolerate them. But feeling is different. When feeling arises, we have to be present with it. But we don't have to own it. It's just passing through. It's temporary. It's understandable. And all those chemicals that are rushing through our system when we're angry or afraid or whatever, it takes time for that to, to die down. And we may have uh, repeated experiences of this coming up, and it's okay. Just stay present with it every time. It'll crest and it'll disappear. When we can stay with our feeling reactions, whether it's lust, hatred, whatever, if we can stay with it while it goes through that and tails off and ends without taking any kind of action, it doesn't control us anymore. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the talk. And I, was, I didn't know much about the, um, the Buddhist global relief, but I'm pretty amazed at what you said it does. I mean, we're op- operating in Cambodia, Kenya, and 
Bangladesh, and I'm forgetting. Yeah, there are actually 40 projects in 13 countries, I think, this So year. I wonder if you can just say a, a little bit more about how this... This is pretty miraculous. I mean, how, how does this happen? Who funds this? And how does you. We, oui, right. <laughs> Anybody who wants to make a donation tonight, you can write checks to BGR. Um, cash, would you accept cash, Steve, for BGR tonight? Okay, you can do that. Yeah, and mostly through the Walks to Feed the Hungry, which we there will be one in um, Berkeley on October 6th. It's a great um, afternoon. And Buddhist Global Relief works with partner organizations on the ground. So some of them are quite uh, grassroots, and others are kind of mid-sized, and some of them are big, like Oxfam India or Oxfam America or... And you can uh, learn about the partners, too. And um, BuddhistGlobalRelief.org has a lot of information. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I guess it's 9 o'clock. Oh, can we do one more? Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I've, part of my response to what you've said is wondering if we can help those people around us and see how they're suffering and perhaps even by helping them to relieve that suffering um, have a ripple effect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't discount any... Um, way in which you help like if you're helping you know someone your focus may be entirely on your own family or entirely on your neighbors or entirely on your community and it's a great benefit any any human beings you're helping to launch into the world or your own um stability you're you're i'm so going to say uh doing your part to limit the suffering in the world, to care for the suffering in the world. So, yes. I mean, you know, this global reach, just like the global input of information, is pretty new. And we can make a... We have many choices for how to make this a better world. Make this a better place, relieving the the suffering of living beings. And it's not just human beings either. What you do for animals, you know, eat less meat. There's lots of options. <laughs> okay. Thank you for your attention. May I abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill-will, in freedom from anxiety, 
And may I maintain well-being in myself. May everyone abide in well-being, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill-will, in freedom from anxiety, and may they maintain well-being in themselves. May all beings be released from all suffering, and may they not be parted from the good fortune they have attained. When they act upon intention, all beings are the owners of their action and inherit its results. Their future is born from such action, companion to such action, and its results will be their home. All actions with intention, be they skillful or harmful, of such acts, they will be the heirs. May you have every good blessing. May all the devas protect you by the power of all the Buddhas. May you ever be well. May you have every good blessing. May all the devas protect you by the power of all the Dhamma. May you ever be well. May you have every good blessing. May all the devas protect you by the power of all the Sangha. May you ever be well.